Hello and welcome to the Lellen Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Porter, and today I want to give you an encouragement. I want to encourage you today because the holiday season is upon us, which many people have many different feelings about. Some are really looking forward to the holidays. Some have hard memories around the holidays. Some want to be with their family, but they can't. Some don't want to be with their family, and that can be a problem too. So I know the holiday season can bring up a lot of feelings, both good and bad, and somewhere in between. So I wanted to offer an encouragement to you during this time of year so that you can hopefully feel uplifted and refreshed and have a new vision for yourself and for your life going into 2024. So just a quick disclaimer. I know that I describe my podcast as one where we have conversations that are not found in church. But this is a topic that I'm going to discuss today, which is found in church quite often. But I feel like not enough pastors preach on this subject. And so I wanted to dedicate some time today to encourage you, like the title of this episode says, that you don't have to be perfect. And I want to redefine what the word perfect means, especially in Christian communities, because I think we have a wrong interpretation of what the word perfect means, especially in the Bible, especially in a very popular verse that people like to quote when it comes to striving for perfection. And we'll get to that later, but just to give some context for this episode, um, again, I feel like this is a sermon that pastors preach on all the time about people being imperfect and how God uses imperfect people. But I feel like the sermon quickly moves on to how you can improve yourself Instead of just resting in the beauty of that fact that God uses imperfect people like me and you and so many heroes of faith in the Bible that we look up to. And I think we forget sometimes that the heroes of faith in the Bible like Abraham and Moses were imperfect people chosen by God to do what God called them to do. And, you know, they weren't special or different in any kind of way. They were human, just like the rest of us. But God saw what he saw in them and chose them for a purpose, just like he sees the potential in all of us and calls us according to his purpose to do his work in the world. All right, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic because 
what inspired me to make this episode was a comment that I saw from someone on Instagram. So someone opened up and said that they feel like God won't accept them because they are not pure enough and that they have too many doubts, too many questions about God and the Bible and, you know, stuff to do with Christianity. And it really broke my heart to read their comment. And sadly, I think if you were to ask Christians if they can relate to that sentiment, an overwhelming amount would say yes. I know that at one point I would say yes to that statement that I don't think God will accept me because I'm not pure enough, I have too many doubts, I've made too many mistakes, but thankfully I have moved on from that and I kind of want to show you how I moved on and how I came to accept that I don't have to be perfect. But anyway, back to this person's comment. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people can sadly relate to it. And I think that's because for a lot of people, religion was used as a form of behavior modification. So by that, I mean, if you didn't behave well, or if you did something wrong, you may have been told that God was angry with you. You may have been told that you'll go to hell if you engage in a particular sin. You might have been threatened with the idea that God sees everything you do, so you better behave. You might have even had certain Bible verses quoted at you to remind you to behave. So, for example, I heard a story from a guy who was caught masturbating by his parents when he was a teenager, you know, super embarrassing, but also super normal for teenage boys to do, you know, nothing out of the ordinary there, except it was not okay with his parents. And so they didn't say anything right away when they caught him, but later that evening, they asked him to wash the dishes, which was a usual chore that he did. So he went over to the sink, and on the counter, he saw a cutting board with a knife on it. And next to the cutting board and the knife, there was a note that said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And that is a Bible verse. The Bible does say that, but it was, you know, a hyperbolic statement, right? Jesus was trying to impress upon people how serious sin can be and that if you do sin, you know, you or if you're tempted to sin, you want to remove anything that might tempt you, right? So if your eye causes you to look at someone lustfully, you should pluck out your eye. That is another Bible verse. If your right hand causes you to sin somehow, like maybe you steal something, maybe you slap someone, maybe you, you know, whatever, you do something with your hand, <laughs> you should cut it off because it's better to cut off the thing that causes you to sin 
or it tempts you to sin rather than live with it. So that is the message that this guy's parents were trying to hone in on, that he needs to remove any kind of temptation for him um, that would cause him to masturbate or whatever. And so anyway, it's just obviously is a very intense message. <laughs> and especially for a teenager, you know, that's a very intense message. And from the way it sounded, this person grew up in a very strict home, a very religious home. So this wasn't like a joke or like a prank or anything like that. Um, he gave the impression that his parents were quite serious about this. So that's an intense example of how religion has been used as behavior modification for people. But I think, sadly, a lot of people can relate to intense stories like that. And I know there are even more intense examples of how people have used religion um, or Bible verses or sermons even to get people to behave in a certain way, especially to get children to behave properly. I did an episode way, way back about the Duggar family and fundamentalism and all of that. And I remember in that documentary about the Duggars, there was an example given by a boy who grew up in a very strict religious family similar to the Duggars. And he said that one Sunday morning, he wasn't behaving well in church. You know, he was a little boy. He was fidgety, being rowdy, all of that. And his grandmother took him into the bathroom and beat him for over an hour until he finally calmed down and quieted down. And she used Bible verses to... um basically justify her actions, justify her punishing him in such an intense way. For example, there's another Bible verse that says, if you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. And so people like this guy's grandmother take that to mean, well, if I spare the rod, if I don't spank my children when they misbehave, if I don't beat my children even when they misbehave, they'll end up spoiled. But that's not what that verse means at all. And I'll cover that in another episode. But yeah, all of that to say, like, sadly, so many people have experienced religion as being a way to control them, to control their behavior, to get them to behave in a certain way. And I think that's why a lot of Christians feel like they don't measure up and why they can relate to that sentiment from that comment I saw where someone said that they feel like God will not accept them because they're not pure enough and they've made too many mistakes and they have too many doubts and too many questions. And so, again, that really moved me to want to dedicate an episode to this topic so, I mentioned at the top of this episode that often in the Bible, when we think about perfection, when we think about people being perfect, we look at the heroes of faith for inspiration. And by heroes of faith, I mean, you know, Moses, Abraham, you know, Isaac, Joseph, 
um, King David, you know, all of these amazing men of God who did what God called them to do, who did impossible, amazing things by God's help and God's power. But I think what we forget so often when we study these heroes of faith and when we look up to them for all of the amazing things that they've done and the ways that they were so obedient to God, we forget that they are imperfect people just like us. And yes, their their good deeds were recorded in the Bible. The amazing things that God helped them do were recorded in the Bible, but so were their mistakes. And I feel like we don't, as a Christian community, I feel like we don't talk enough about the mistakes of the people that we look up to. And I think it's important to hone in on their mistakes for a minute because it reminds us that God can use anyone. That is something that a pastor prayed over me prophetically. This was a pastor I had never met before, never encountered him in my life, but he prayed for me and he said exactly that to me. He said, if God can use anyone, he can use you. And he told me that three times. If God can use anyone, he can use you. So I want to pass on that same encouragement to you. And I want to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive and hone in on the heroes of faith in the Bible and look at their mistakes so that we can be encouraged that if God can use people like them, he truly can use anyone. He can use people like us. All right, let's start all the way in the beginning. So the very first human ever created was Adam. As most of us know, we know the story of Adam and Eve and um, everything that went on in Genesis, you know, God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So he created Adam and Eve and we all know the story that God put two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve that they can eat anything in the garden. They can go anywhere in the garden, but they must not eat from those two trees or they would die. And then we know how the rest of the story goes. Eve is tempted by the serpent to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that her eyes might be open and she might be like God. And then she tempts Adam to eat from the tree as well. And together they both have disobeyed the very first and the only commandment that God gave them. So right out the gate, we see the first person ever <laughs> in all of history, all of recorded history, make this grave error that set humanity on a very different course. So you can read about that again in Genesis chapter 3 if you need a refresher or a reminder of how that story goes. But it's just interesting to see that the very, very first person ever created, created by God, by hand, <laughs> already made such a grave mistake, but God redeemed it and 
even though humanity got set on a very different path, you know, God's will prevailed and God continued to have a relationship with his creation. He didn't just wash his hands of humans and forget about us. He still persisted in having a relationship with humans and showing himself to humanity as he still does today. So then a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 9, we have Noah. And again, we know the story of Noah as well. He got a premonition from God that a flood was coming to um, devastate the earth, to renew creation and to restore it back to the way God intended it to be because humanity had just overrun the world with evil. So, you know, the flood happens the earth is renewed and restored. And then it describes that, you know, Noah and his family start to cultivate the earth and all of that. Noah plants a vineyard. He learns how to make wine. And one day he drinks too much of the wine and he basically falls asleep in like a drunken stupor. <laughs> so this is for anyone who has ever felt bad about drinking too much or indulging too much in certain vices. You know, here we have a man who was so holy and righteous that God spared him and his family from the destruction of the flood. But then he goes and he gets drunk off of his wine and he just lies around in a stupor. So there is another example of someone who was set apart by God to basically be the only human left on earth. <laughs> and he's still messed up. So no one is perfect, even Noah, the most holy and righteous man that God could find, still made a mistake. So then... Moving on a bit more, we have Moses. Moses was a Hebrew, born to a Hebrew family, but he was raised by Egyptians. He was raised in Pharaoh's court, essentially. And so he kind of had a complicated story because he grew up as a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. And so one day, Moses leaves Pharaoh's court to go see the Hebrew people and learn more about them. And he sees how they're being treated as slaves by the Egyptians and the hard labor that they endured. And while he is surveying all of this, he comes across an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses feels compassion and righteous anger for his fellow Hebrew. So he ends up murdering the Egyptian guard. And then the next day it is found out what he did. And in fear for his life, because back then it was like, if you kill someone, you're killed, you know, an eye for an eye, a life for a life kind of thing. So when Moses's crime is uncovered, he ends up fleeing into the wilderness and that is where he encountered God on the mountain in the form of a burning bush. So right there, we have Moses, who 
was the deliverer of the whole nation of Israelites, delivered them from captivity, delivered them from enslavement, from Pharaoh. But his journey started off with him murdering someone. And we often don't remember that when we think of Moses. You know, we think of him parting the Red Sea. We think of him seeing God face to face and receiving the Ten Commandments that were handwritten by God. But we don't always remember the start of his journey and that it started with him fleeing into the wilderness to escape being convicted of the crime he committed. Another example, a very popular example, is King David. Again, a very popular story that you may know, but it is found in First and Second Kings, all of the whole story of David's life. But the part of his story that people focus on the most is how he saw a woman one day bathing on her roof, and he was so enamored by her that he requested that she be brought to him. Um, that right there is a little sketchy. It is unclear whether she went willingly or she was coerced. Um, she ended up sleeping with King David. And again, it is unknown whether that was willfully or if she was coerced. And in order to cover up what he did, taking another man's wife because she was married, David had her husband killed at battle because currently all of the Israeli men were out to war. David, being the king, should have gone with them, but he chose to stay behind. Um, and so when he took Bathsheba, the woman that he fell in love with, and slept with her, he had her husband murdered on the front line of battle so that he could cover up his crime. And, you know, those are two pretty awful things, right? Committing adultery and committing murder. But David is described at the end of his life as being a man after God's own heart, which I think is pretty amazing and really speaks to, you know, the character of God that he, you know, redeems and restores and makes new. So for two more modern examples from the New Testament, we have Peter and Paul. Peter was a disciple of Jesus he was the one who walked on water with Jesus. He is also known as the disciple who recognized Jesus for who Jesus said he was. Jesus asked his disciples at one point, do you believe that I am the son of God, that I am who I say I am? And Peter replies, yes. And Jesus says, you know, upon your faith, upon your statement, my church will be built, that you know me and that you confess me as the Messiah, the Savior. And then later on, even though Peter recognized Jesus for who he said he was, Peter ends up betraying Jesus. So the night that Jesus was basically put on trial and being prepared to be crucified, Peter was waiting outside the courtroom for Jesus. And while he was waiting, there were other people around and they kept associating Peter with Jesus. And Peter got spooked and he was afraid that by people associating him with Jesus, he would also be tried 
and um, crucified. So he ended up denying Jesus, denying he ever knew him. And so it's interesting to see that the man who proclaimed Jesus said he is who he says he is, that he believes everything Jesus says, then turns around and says he doesn't know Jesus at, at all. And then we have Paul, who was first named Saul. Saul had an encounter with Jesus where he was traveling, and as he traveled on this road, there was a blinding flash of light from heaven, and Saul heard a voice cry out, Why are you persecuting me? And this was because Saul was a Jewish man, but he was vehemently against Christians, and so he would seek them out and have them taken to jail, taken to um, be, you know, tortured and crucified and all of the things that were happening to Christians back in the day because they were basically seen as a bunch of rebels following this rebel leader, Jesus, who they believed was trying to overthrow the Roman government. Um, and so Saul was a persecutor of the Christians. So when he encounters God asking him, why are you persecuting me? He has this amazing moment of realization that God is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, and he repents, and he, from that day on, becomes a Christian, and he goes on to write most of the books in the New Testament, and he is considered one of the fathers of Christianity because of how much he, um, how much he added to the Bible, how many books of the Bible are attributed to him. So this is just a small list. I mean, I could go on and on. I literally had like 10 more examples. <laughs> but this is just a small list of, you know, these these great heroes of faith that we so look up to in Christianity and we so admire. But again, we forget that a lot of their journey started with them making mistakes and even ended with making mistakes. Um, Moses had disobeyed God so many times, but that that by the time Moses arrived at the promised land, the land that God was bringing the Israelites to after they were rescued from captivity, they were supposed to go to this land that God had promised them, hence the name of the promised land. And Moses had messed up so many times that he was not even allowed to enter the promised land. He was just allowed to look upon it from a high mountain. So, you know, we see that these people made mistakes, that they were imperfect people just like us. And that brings me a lot of encouragement because it shows, again, that I don't have to be perfect, <laughs> that... I can be used by God with all of my imperfections and all of my mistakes. So at the top of the episode, I mentioned that there was a verse that people use when it comes to the idea that Christians need to be perfect and strive for perfection. 
And that verse is Matthew. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And it literally says, this is Jesus speaking to us, to Christians. It literally says, be perfect as I am perfect. So many people will take that verse and point to it and use it as an example of like, look, right here in the Bible, it says, be perfect. We're, we need to be perfect in the way that God is perfect. But I looked it up and the word perfect in that verse does not mean what we think it means. It doesn't mean to be without flaw. It doesn't mean to make no mistakes. It doesn't mean to be error-free. It means to be complete, whole, fully developed, or having reached an end goal. That is what it means when Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. Essentially, he is saying, be whole, complete, and fully developed like me. And the interesting thing is that verse, Matthew 5, 48, comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The whole chapter, Matthew 5, is dedicated to the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus's most um, famous sermons. And in that sermon, he lays out basically how to follow in his footsteps, and he lays out what is expected of us as Christians. So, for example, that's where you get verses like, if your neighbor asks you to walk a mile with him, walk to. If your neighbor asks you for your shoes, give him your cloak and your staff as well. Um, that's also where we get things like, you know, if someone strikes you, hits you, you know, on one cheek, turn the other cheek, you know. So it lays out what is expected of us as Christians, what it means to follow the example of Christ, to follow in his footsteps. So it makes sense that after laying out all of the instructions on how we follow Christ, he would end it by saying, be complete and whole and fully developed like me. You know, in Christianity, we view Jesus as many things, and one of the things we view him as is a teacher. And so it would make sense that a teacher would say to his students, be like me, right? Imitate me. I am complete. I am whole. I am fully developed because I am the teacher. I am the leader. I am the master. So I have all I need to be those th those things. I have all wisdom and power and authority and understanding to be your leader, to be your teacher, to be your master. But you don't yet. And so you need to imitate me. You need to be complete and whole and fully developed like me. That is your goal as my students as my followers. So it, it honestly makes sense that that would be the way that verse is interpreted, that it would be interpreted as be whole and complete and fully developed like Jesus is, not be perfect, be error-free, be mistake-free, be you know problem-free. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean that. And it makes sense because since God created us, 
he knows we're not perfect, right? I mean, he was there when Adam sinned and set humanity on a totally different course. I mean, he was there from the beginning. He saw, okay, I made this new creation called a human. I gave them these rules, one rule, and they already broke it. <laughs> so, you know, God already knows what's in our heart. He already knows that we're not perfect. He already knows that we're going to make mistakes. And so it wouldn't make sense for God knowing all of that to then say, be perfect, be error-free, be mistake-free, be free of sin, be free of doubt, be free of questions, be free of, you know, insert whatever. Like, it makes sense that God instead, Jesus instead would say, be complete and whole and fully developed like me, because that is the goal as Christians, is to be like Christ. And the message of the gospel, despite what people think, is not about being perfect, but it's about being reconciled and reunited with Christ. You know, despite what people have been taught, despite the way that religion and Christianity and even God has been misused in society, Jesus really, really does desire a relationship with us. He really does desire to make us whole and complete and fully developed. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jesus speaking to us, and he says, I have come to you that you may have life and life abundant. And that is the heart of Jesus, that not only does he want us to have life, but he wants us to have an abundant, full, whole, and complete life. So I'm going to leave you with that encouragement, that that is the heart of God for you, to have a whole and complete and fully developed life. God wants you to thrive, not just live. And I also want to encourage you that, again, if God can use anyone, think of all the people I just listed all of their mistakes, but also all of their victories and all of their triumphs and how great their victories were and how amazing their triumphs were. If God can use murderers, drunks, liars, cheaters, he can use all of us. And the goal is not perfection, but it's oneness with God. Amen and amen. All right. I thank you so much for listening and for spending a tiny part of your day with me. If you enjoyed this and you were encouraged by this, I ask that you would please share this with someone who needs to hear this encouragement too. Um, remember to also rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcast on. It really, really does help push out my message to more people. So if you have been listening to me for a while and you haven't rated yet or you're not sure, please double check it. If you haven't, please rate 
And of course, please feel free to share on social media as well. I have been having a lot of fun making memes and reels and other kinds of content for social media. So please feel free to share those around too. Um, Some of them are funny. Some of them are encouraging. I have a little bit of everything. Um, So please feel free to share those around too for people who need encouragement or who need a laugh. But anyway, again, thank you so much for listening and and spending a tiny portion of your day with me. I so, so appreciate it. I'm your host, Nicole Porter. This has been the Lone Wolves Club podcast. And until next time.